well, if we're so far advanced on, uh, on AI uh, in the private sector, why can't we use some of these tools to make search better in the, gov the government sector? But it's always with a design focus. It's not just about having the technology, it's about centering the consumer experience. Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, brought to you by Deloitte. How Congress wants to hold agencies accountable on digital service delivery. And more from an exclusive interview with Congressman Ro Khanna of California. It's Tuesday, January 9th, 2024. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast, where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. Here's what's happening now. President Joe Biden's AI executive order laid out a number of deadlines for federal agencies to hit within the first 35, 45, and 60 days of its issuance. Now that we're a few months out since Biden signed the landmark order, so far, agencies like the Office of Management and Budget, Office of Personnel Management, General Services Administration, National Science Foundation, and the Department of Labor indicated that they're on track with requirements that were set to be completed within those initial windows, they told FedScoop. And keeping up with the early deadlines, researchers told FedScoop could be important for actions down the line. Among those early actions, the Federal Chief AI Officers Council met in December for its first meeting where it focused on the form and functions of the council, including how to consistently and successfully implement the executive order and OMB's draft policy on AI governance, and more. Other actions successfully accomplished include OMB planning a talent surge and convening a task force on AI talent, OPM authorizing a new direct hire authority, and accepted service appointments to support the AI order, and GSA prioritizing funding of AI projects in the government, among others. Continuing with the theme of AI, FedScoop recently discovered through a public records request that USAID in April warned employees that they should only input information from publicly available sources into generative artificial intelligence tools like ChatGPT. The move mirrors a growing trend of federal agency leaders being extra cautious about how federal employees use such generative AI tools. For instance, the Social Security Administration has temporarily banned the technology on its devices, while the Agriculture Department determined that ChatGPT's risk was high and established a board to review potential generative AI use cases. NASA, which is using a version of OpenAI software provided through the Microsoft Azure cloud system, has set up a secure testing environment to study the technology. Notably, the White House's recent executive order on AI discouraged agencies from outright forbidding the technology. USAID's approach appears to mirror that of the General Services Administration, as well as some other agencies, in avoiding an outright ban, though it's not clear if the agency has made any updates since last year. You can read more about these stories and more at fedscoop.com. Last month, FedScoop reported exclusive news from an interview with Congressman Ro Khanna, the Democratic representative from the Silicon Valley area in California. In those stories, reporter Nahal Krishan highlighted Khanna's new legislation that looks to hold agencies accountable for digital service delivery and how the congressman hopes to see workers better represented on the boards of AI companies and rank-and-file employees be sufficiently consulted when AI tools are rolled out within the government and beyond. Now, we wanted to share the entirety of that interview to highlight everything Kana is focused on going forward in 2024. I'll turn it over now to Nahal for his interview with Congressman Ro Kana. 
I wanted to start off um, with the Government Service Delivery Improvement Act, which you know to, to us is sort of you know the, the most like newsy thing uh, that that you've been working on in the past few months. Um, and and I was curious, so what, what sort of precipitated this, and maybe a few examples of what are some of the federal digital services that you and others have said remain severely outdated? Well, I think when you go to a government website and you're navigating the pages, you often have 50 hyperlinks. It's very hard to uh, find what you need. It's not user friendly. And search is often uh, not that uh, accurate. You, you type in what your question and you get uh, a pile of information back at you, but not something that is responsive or precise. And that's a stark contrast to the uh, elegant designs of private sector companies in the tech space. So what we're saying is take the best practices of AI, uh, of, of design, and uh, have government websites that serve consumers. Hmm. And was there anything in particular that precipitated this and made you feel like this was, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's gotten some bipartisan support and like what remains outdated? Like, I don't know if there's like a few examples well, there just the, the of type. specific websites or tools that, that are outdated that have large influence. If you look at uh, just navigating uh, the IRS website or you navigate the website on, uh, on the CDC to understand COVID and COVID protocols. I mean, it's just a, a plethora of information. It's not easy to comprehend, not easy to search, not even easy to navigate. Uh, and the advent uh, of consumer-oriented AI, which at GPT, I think led people to say, well, if we're so far advanced on, uh, on AI uh, in the private sector, why can't we use some of these tools to make search better in the, gov the government sector? But it's always with a design focus because it's not just about having the technology, it's about centering the consumer experience. Hmm. I see. And is this something you've heard from constituents or you've heard from, yeah, from, many from, from industry or sort of um, like what, what caused this to bubble to the surface? Well, we haven't seen a crisis, right? Which is oftentimes what drives things in, in our world. Yeah, I think it's just a sense of frustration that constituents express. Why can't government deliver better? Why can't it deliver more efficiently? Why is it that government websites are such a mess? Why is it that I feel like I'm going... 20 years back when I visit a government website. Mm. That is something you've sort of heard, heard particularly time. In town halls and in calls to the office. Mm. Yeah. I see. And in, in what way is this connected or perhaps a response to the 21st Century Idea Act? It's, it's related. The okay. 21st Century Idea Act uh, was about uh, figuring out creating better centers of excellence in design. The theme of all of these, these bills that I've been doing are how do we improve government services by centering the user experience, the consumer experience, and making it simple for people to operate. Yeah, and, but sort of, it wasn't the 21st Century Idea Act trying to get at many of these same issues and problems that the Government Service Delivery Improvement Act is? Like, is not, what, well, what, 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 not in, the search, it didn't improve the... AI, it didn't use AI to improve the search function. It didn't have as much of the use of AI uh, explicitly in 
uh, in search, and it didn't have as much of a focus on design. It was taking the best uh, centers of excellence and experiences, uh, but this is explicitly saying that design needs to be front and center. I see. Do you, do you see this this bill as in any way related to perhaps like failures and frustrations of the idea? Obviously, it's been five years now since that passed. You know, you, you were the, the lead sponsor. There has not been significant implementation of that. Obviously, some of it was under the Trump era, but now we've had two and a half years under, under the Biden administration. Do you feel like this bill is needed in part to sort of double down and hold key agencies accountable because that hasn't been implemented and refine the text yeah. of the law? Well, I think some of it has been implemented. I mean, people have moved away from some of the paper. They are moving away into more design focus, but we need to go further. And this is designed to prod the agencies to go further. I, I ask about that because um, we we had uh, we had an investigation, some pretty in-depth reporting on yeah. misalignment and, and conflict between uh, key leaders at GSA, Robin Carnahan, OMB, uh, Jason Zimenez, and, and Claire Mardrona, and then U.S. Digital Services, mm. um, Nina Sung. And there's major misalignment on how to actually implement the ideas. They all agree that this is something that is law, that you know there needs to be significant improvement of websites and their design, but there hasn't been much agreement on how to actually what implement What is this disagreement? That, that they, have not, they have not actually prioritized implementing the IDEA Act. I, we, we saw budget line items and we saw key resources within USDS and GSA and they just would rather not focus on redesigning websites and making it more customer friendly because because you know we see what happened with with Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act and you know so we, we spoke to various folks and they say that leadership has just told us to focus on other projects and initiatives instead because we don't want to be known for website redesign and, and customer friendliness even though it is a key part of the Biden administration's tech agenda so I was I was curious if you have felt this or heard this frustration? No, when I spoke to Science, he said that this is a big priority for the administration. So we will continue to follow up to make sure that it's moving in the in a positive direction. But are you are you aware of this misalignment and and, and issues within GSA OMB and USDS have, yeah, in terms of bringing it up, so I see. Um, yeah, I think I think we'd we'd, we'd reached out for, for comment about a month or two ago when, when we ran the story. But I guess the, the reason I bring it up is because Many of the, the, the top officials, Claire Mardrona and others, have said that they would like to see more accountability of the administration, of, of, of these agencies. Is that something you've thought about in terms of having a hearing or, or, or bringing yeah, forth key have, leaders? I, we'd have to do it through oversight. We have, of course, I'm not in the majority, but I could propose doing a bipartisan hearing on it. Yeah, I mean, we, we, I know that folks like like Comer and and and, and Jordan are are open to. I mean, you know, they, they I guess have a natural political incentive to to hold a magnifying lens to these. But it, do you think that has power? At least, as I said, key leaders within GSA, OMB, and USDS have said that they would like to see pressure being placed on their own agencies in order to actually move the ball forward on on websites and software and tools that hundreds of millions of Americans use. Do you think that? I do think that's an appropriate for Congress to continue to push, and we have. We Connolly used did a number of these hearings. Uh, 
uh, Calmer has done them, and I, I, I will continue to do them, and I'll continue to support them. Is there is there anything in particular that you would look towards having in the in the coming months? Well, I would look at having a metric of where what are the progress, what are the things we have implemented right yet, what still needs to be implemented, where are places for growth. And so, do like a, a study or analysis. Yeah, or have them come in and testify. Or okay, okay. So you you would like to see that, um, and and is there, um, I guess you know, what do you see when you know it's been five years? What do you see as sort of maybe top five, top seven priorities of of idea of the Ideas Act? Uh, because because many people say, oh, it's just broad scale modernization without sort of targeting or focusing where resources and time. Should I say it's design that centers the consumer experience and make sure that you're testing it with consumers and seeing if consumers are giving it good reviews and what consumer satisfaction is. And then I would say it's reducing complexity, making things more navigable, simpler, easier to, easier to, uh, to, to use, less clutter. Mm -hmm. Sorry, maybe I should clarify. I mean, are there particular websites or agencies that you think are big ticket items? Because some folks at GSA have told us that they just sort of feel overwhelmed with the amount of improvements to design and ease of use there right. are, but, and they would sort of, they would like to have a, a narrower call list of agencies or websites. I would be the most uh, consumer facing ones, the Social Security Administration, the tax, IRS, uh, the immigration, uh, department, I mean, places that people interact most often with. Mm. I see. Um, and so is, is there, uh, basically, are, are there any other updates on the idea? Like, have you met recently with folks at, at GSA or OMB or, I keep meeting, or, or USDS? I keep, they keep testifying. I keep meeting them. And uh, that's, they were involved in. The Digital Services Act. Yeah, I'm. I'm just curious if, if, if sort of the, the the tenure or details of conversations with like Mina Song or Robin Carnahan or or the or constructive Jason. conversations that they were helpful in uh, this legislation. I see, and and so so they're very much on board with. Well, they the have to go through the process, but they're they've been supportive. They've they've, they've been supportive. Um, is, is, is there anything else you would like to see from them, from, from leaders within OMB, GSA? And, and I, I, I think it's the embrace of this legislation and the embrace of getting funding for these initiatives. The I president's see. budgeting. Yeah, I think that was sort of like one of the perhaps like missing pieces of the ideas. I, did. I don't think it came with a lot of funding, that much funding. and resources. It had to be appropriated. I see. And was that intentional? Uh, yeah, because if we had put a lot of funding, it would have been much harder to pass. Yeah, I see. Has, has, has there been much conversation or debate with Republicans on on, on Ideas Act or, or just... It was pretty bipartisan, but, but the funding is where it becomes partisan. And, and do we have any significant funding attached to the Government Service Delivery Improvement Act? No. Uh, but again, funding would come, but getting the policy right is important. But we would like to have funding in the, a later stage yeah, of, 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 of the bill. I see. Um, another area I was I was I was curious about is pipeline for tech skilled workers in the government. Yeah. You know, obviously this is uh, this is a key part of the AI executive order. It was part of the federal rotational cyber workforce program act, which you played a part in the Chips and Science Act. 
where are we on that right now? That's a critical, critical cog in you know America's ability to be at the forefront. Is, is having the right talent. Well, we need to do more. We need to invest in HBCUs. We need to invest in Hispanic serving institutes, and community colleges, and uh, public colleges across America to create tech hubs, tech centers, tech laboratories of uh, providing kids with scholarships and credentialing, even if it doesn't require a four-year degree, that'll give them a, a lucrative technology job. And I've been working with Google and Zoom and uh, other tech companies, Accenture, to set up those kind of programs across America. And specifically focused on what what sort of learning or well, what you know, it, it, it ranges from AI to cybersecurity to design, uh, but a lot of these jobs now don't require extraordinary amount of coding because they're actually low code jobs. They, uh, the, the AI is doing so much of the coding, but it requires familiarity and exposure to machines and to to software. I see, and and have these. Programs already been are they up and running? With yeah, we have a one very successful. We have eight of them successful with Benedict College, and uh, Marie can get you the list of where they. But are. these are all pr private sector funded. Private sector funded. I see. Is there is there a push that you would like to see within within the government? Well, the Chips Act does it. The, the president's the bill I wrote. We created these tech hubs. Uh, that was my idea. It came from John Simon and Simon and Gruber's book, Jumpstart America. We wrote it in the English Lightless Frontiers and made it into the final bill. And uh, Commerce, Commerce is, is rolling. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we've done a bunch of reporting. And so, do you feel like that is enough? Like, are we on track no, for building up the pipeline that, start. That, that we need to start? I see. And so, what, what, what more would you like to see on this, given that this is a bipartisan issue? And there, there, there seems to be clear agreement. And I'd have a clear goal, like a million uh, more tech credentialed folks within two years, 20% uh, of whom have to be black and uh, Latino, and some significant percent, and women. And I work with the private sector, public sector, uh, tech universities and community colleges across America at every district to fill it. I see. And is that is that something that we've made a beginning on, or is it's there? It's a start. We've had a start. Oh, as in as in the programs that you mentioned yeah. before. I see. But is there what what sort of role do you see the government playing there? As a convener, as a motivator, as a as someone as a as a play for the entity that could get all the CEOs, the, all the college presidents, in the same room, and also to provide key capital. Yeah. And do you think that there's a greater role for accountability that you or others could, could play or that you'd like to see regarding um, things like USA jobs and basically making it easier to actually get into the government? Let, let's say the pipeline of skills does exist and, and we come up the curve on that. There seems to be huge issues in terms of actual hiring. Right. Even, even when we have scores of people, you know, the hundreds of thousands of people who want to work in the government, it takes ages for right. that actually to happen. This is something that, um, yeah, people like, like Mina Sun, people like Robin, others have, have talked about that this is like one of the key things holding us back is, is, is actual, the, the, the time and effort it takes to hire and also parity. We need to reform that and we need to be paying tech professionals better and we need to make it easier to hire them and uh, less bureaucratic and we need to uh, give them a premium. Is there is there something in particular that you would like to see, or you're working on, 
either legislatively or voluntarily that could make this hiring process easier within the government? I, I'm open to working on it. I haven't had a legislative proposal on it. Uh, it would, I'm not sure it'd go through the committees I'm on, but I, I definitely think it's a good idea. I see. That makes sense. Um, you know, another area I was curious about is is, uh, is AI policy making um, in Congress right now. What, what which part of AI policy making excites you right now? And I don't know if there's like a few specific bills or initiatives that sort of. My focus has been on economic opportunity. What are we going to do to workers who may see their jobs change? What are we going to make sure do to make sure that we're not introducing technologies in ways that are unsafe or that are too disruptive? Uh, and how do we ensure that the wealth that's being generated is uh, that workers get their share of it? And and your sort of specific vessels for pushing for this is through through appropriate legislation in California. I supported the Teamsters AB three sixteen bill that said, look, you can't have uh, trucks over ten thousand pounds just be driverless. Uh, I've supported the writer strike. Uh, I've supported legislative outlooks that have said, let's make sure the labor has a place on corporate boards. Let's make sure that they have a place in understanding how technology is going to be uh, adopted. Yeah, and so yeah, th th those seem pretty notable on maybe more on the state level. Is there is there anything in in Congress or at the national level that you see moving the ball forward in terms of those? I think give worker empowerment bills that give workers a voice in the adoption of AI technology in their workplace. And are are there any like one or two? such bills that have already been introduced? Or? Well, the PRO Act was a start. Uh, Tammy Baldwin has a bill, which I'm a co-sponsor, about workers on the corporate boards. So there are bills that are uh, in that direction. Is there something that you plan to work on or hope to? Well, I co-sponsor both of those, and I will continue to work on these kind of initiatives. I see. And, but, but in terms of I mean, the, 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 the PRO Act, at least, you know, at least when it comes to Republicans, is pretty much like down. Right. right? Like that, that's not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, is, is there something else perhaps narrow and targeted that you would like to see or that you see yourself working on? Well, that, I think that, 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 that companies have a responsibility to involve workers in any decision of uh, advanced AI implementation. I see. But how can we bake that into the law? Well, you can require it on the board of directors. You could adopt uh, requiring the labor representatives on technology committees. Hmm. I see. And, and uh, you know, how, 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 how do you see when it comes to AI policy making right now in, within the government, you know, we have the NIST AI standards and then we have the White House AI blueprint. Um, and then, of course, you know, commerce has some of its own internal like rulemaking. Those, these are sort of the three key pillars right. that we have. How how do you see these the, these three coming together? You know, we we've done various reporting on how it seems to be that the industry and, and many other key stakeholders prefer the NIST standards for uh, for risk management um, and are not as gung ho on the AI blueprint, which they see as more like vague and, and rights based. Um, how do you see sort of this this debate shaking out and and finding? a singular clear voice for AI policy coming out of the government? Well, I don't think there's going to be a singular voice for, policy, voice for something that dra dramatic and dra that big. I think ultimately the White House will lead it. Uh, but of course, you're going to have different considerations. 
It, but it is, do you see much like you know many of the key companies in your district and others that the NIST framework is one which is sort of on the rise and, and has the most support and popularity? I, the direction I think it's what them. people know and people are fine with it, but ultimately it's Congress that's going to have to propose new laws and new regulations in this field. And, and what do you think a comprehensive legislation could look like and what sort of timeline could that come in? I think it's going to take probably a year to be bipartisan. Who knows if it could happen in an election year? And it's going to require a focus on safety, a focus on human decision making, not machine decision making, a focus on economic equity, a focus against deep fakes and misinformation. And do you think that, as you said, it doesn't seem like it's coming anytime soon? I, 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 what are maybe like two or three areas that you're most worried about in the interim before we actually get to some comprehensive bill? Because obviously this technology is, yeah. is emerging. It's on the it's, it's exploding. What you know? I'm afraid what, of misinformation and, and fake fake videos. I'm uh, afraid of uh, algorithms that whip up frenzy and hate uh, online that translates into the real world. Mm. And what what would you suggest to? Um, tech companies that, that are that are creating AI tools um, and, and those those in the government, you know, uh, many of whom are our readers, what, what can they be doing in the absence of congressional action on, on some of these, these, these key risks and concerns? Well, they can be responsible. They can help come up with responsible voluntary standards, civic standards, uh, but ultimately you need the, the government to, to uh, make those binding. I see. And, and so sort of what role are you specifically playing within such comprehensive AI legislation? Is this a priority for you or, or you know, is, is, I'm this, working, is this somebody else's sort of mandate? No, I mean, I'm working on AI policy initiatives and uh, have shown, uh, believe it's very, very important that we have the economic blueprint, that we have the regulatory blueprint. And uh, whether it's my bill or I work with someone else, I'll be involved in the details. Um, so what would you say where we're missing? What are we not taking enough action on when it comes to, 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 to AI? What, you know, what... I think this economic disparity, that it's going to create much more wealth in Silicon Valley and uh, large parts of the working class, middle class could fall further behind. Mm. So, you know, I think this, this brings me to, to, to your book, which I was, which I'm very curious about, you know, uh, dignity in the, in the, in the digital age. How, how do you feel about um, you know the, the predictions you made and, and the theories you outline now about about a year later? How especially now that we've had this AI explosion? How yeah, well it's too soon to tell. I mean, I think about my thesis was that post COVID you were going to see a decentralization of technology opportunity. We've seen some of that, but obviously it's way too. We have the tech hub actually being yep. implemented, yep. Uh, but it's way too soon to see. Is it going to bear fruit? Is it going to succeed? Are we really going to create economic opportunity in places that have not had it? I think we've got at least a decade probably to go until we see the, that kind of result. Mm. But do you think we've started turning the whole of the ship? I think we've we started in the right direction. Yeah. Okay. Um, are, are there other parts of your book that you feel like have been particularly prescient or relevant at, at, at the moment? I think just that the insight of decentralization of tech uh, ended up being quite true and because of COVID and a lot of the things I said that people would work uh, from home sometimes and could, didn't have to always go into the office. Some of those observations, I think, 
had become cultural norm. Mm. Has there been any pushback from those in your district regarding this decentralization? Because obviously yeah. it will be well pouring out of Yeah, of there's so much wealth there, ten trillion dollars in thirty miles. And the challenge is the housing costs. I see. So so talent or resources shifting away from your district to others is not Well, in mass no one would want an in mass yeah, exodus when no one expects that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I was curious, how are Schumer's AI inside forums going? Uh, I, I don't know. I've never been. I haven't been to them. They're senator only. But yeah, yeah. But but have you been tracking? You know, that's obviously a key part of the AI policy making yeah, process. Yeah, I've been more involved in the House. I see. Do, do you see any scope for perhaps greater transparency or public input within? I'd love to have it bipartisan. Because they're currently closed. I think it'll let them. Right time will work with Senator Schubert to make. I mean, I've worked with him on endless for years. I always love working with him. But but you would like to see them opened up and be more more yeah. transparent and you know I'm not going to tell Senator Schubert to run the Senate, <laughs> but uh, you know I look forward to working with him. Yeah, but anything in particular you'd like to see more within the within the forums? Um, well, eventually, House participation would be good. Yeah, yeah. And then I just wanted to open up if there's just sort of broadly speaking anything on tech policy that you're working on or interested in that we haven't discussed already. Just wanted to open up. Well, it was a pretty broad, broad range. I mean, I, our real push, we may do uh, some kind of AI roundtable with academics sometime next year. We'll keep you posted on that. Uh, our focus is on economic uh, disparity in the country and how do we lessen it? How do we create economic opportunity? And whether it's AI, technology, uh, the lens I'm coming at is, is this going to help improve income inequality? Is it going to help improve the lives of working class Americans? You can learn more about federal digital service delivery and AI adoption at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Now for this next segment, I'll pass it over to my colleague, Wyatt Cash, for an interview with our sponsoring partner, Deloitte. Artificial intelligence is playing an increasingly important role in constituent engagement for government agencies, both at the federal and state and local levels. I'm Wyatt Cash with Scoop News Group, and here to talk about how AI is helping government agencies improve constituent engagement and improve the human experience is Gretchen Brainerd, principal at Deloitte Digital. Gretchen, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Wyatt. So I'd like to start by asking, what's the background on the collaboration between Deloitte and Google Cloud, and how are your organizations working together to improve constituent engagement for government agencies with AI? Yeah, I mean, Wyatt, for years, you know, anytime we get stumped and need an answer, the first thing we think of is, let me go Google that, right? So, um, you know, it for us, when we're looking at the future of the human experience with with Gen AI, it it really begged the question of why we don't you know we don't have the same that same commercial experience and ease of use that Google offers when trying to find information from government agencies. You know, uh, Deloitte has a longstanding relationship with Google Cloud, so it's exciting that we get to come together and leverage their commercial experience and cutting edge AI capabilities combined with our industry uh, and human experience expertise to, to transform how government organizations engage with their constituents and make services more accessible, efficient, and responsive to people's needs. So you mentioned combining AI with the human experience. Can you speak more to what that is and why it's important in this context? 
Sure. Um, human experience is a passion of mine, uh, leading our public sector customer and marketing group. And human experience design, it's pivotal for shaping the future of constituent engagement because it fundamentally revolves around people. It's about going you know, beyond mere transactions and striving to forge deeper connections between citizens and the services that government agencies offer. Um, I can walk through a couple of examples if you'd like. Sure. So imagine a constituent visiting a government website with human experience design. That website doesn't just offer a one-size-fits-all experience. Instead, it can be personalized to the individual's preferences and needs. If you're looking for information on education, for example, the website intuitively understands your query and provides relevant resources, making your interaction interaction seamless and satisfying. Um, and now think about accessibility. This is something that keeps me up at night. There are so many people who can't transact um, like you know uh, a lot of the uh, significant population of constituents for other agencies and need a a tailored service for them depending on disabilities that they experience. Human experience design ensures that the government services are inclusive. And for instance, it means designing online forms so that, so that they work flawlessly with screen readers for visually impaired citizens. It's about creating voice-enabled services to make it easier for those who prefer to engage through speech. Um, and you can use also use AI to remove barriers to information by leveraging translation capabilities to make information and services more widely accessible by diverse populations. And we've won a lot of awards in, in tailoring experience that, ex experiences that way because of the focus on, on experience with people, with, you know, for people with disabilities in that space. Human experience design, um, it also empowers government agencies with data-driven insights and gives back something back to the agencies themselves. Say for, you know, for instance, analyzing citizen behavior and feedback, the agencies themselves can continually refine their services. Um, for instance, city governments use data to identify traffic hotspots and proactively address congestion issues enhancing the daily lives of its residents, um, you know, all the time and kind of behind the scenes without us even understanding that they're doing that. But beyond efficiency, I think human ex experience really designs, or human experience design, I should say, it, it fosters trust and engagement, which is really important um, as technology shifts into the Gen AI space. When citizens have positive, memorable experience with government services, they're more likely to actively participate in civic processes and collaborate on solutions to common challenges. Our goal at Deloitte and in this partnership is to craft personalized, accessible, and constituent-centric experiences. It's the difference between a run-of-the-mill interaction and one that leaves a lasting impression and one that you know people want to return to. It's a future of how citizens of government and government agencies connect, uh, they'll adapt and innovate together to build stronger, more meaningful relationships. Those are some great points. Appreciate your mentioning those. Uh, wonder, can you provide one or two specific examples or use case uh, studies where Deloitte is improving the services government agencies provide, you know, leveraging this concept of human experience and Google Cloud's technologies? Sure. 
Um, I think the first example I'll share is around redesigning a state or an agency's official government website. If I were to ask you to go out to any .gov website right now with a specific task, say, find information on a particular program, it's not always easy. You might get frustrated after navigating through multiple layers of sites and subsites or getting, you know, the dreaded 404, quote, page not found, unquote, errors, and eventually give up or just go back to google.com. Use a keyword search instead of digging further on an agency's website. I think we've all had those experiences. Through our collaboration with Google Cloud, we're imagining what that .gov experience looks like uh, and the experience around that to help constituents find information easier and faster. And we're also laying layering in AI-driven personalization um, with features that allow citizens to receive tailored information and services based on their own preferences and even historical interactions with those sites. This approach not only improves the user experience, but it also enables the government to deliver information uh, more efficiently and effectively to its constituents. The second example I'd highlight is around improving the chatbot experience for an agency's website. Um, you know, in that case, when someone has a question, we're leveraging Google Cloud's natural language processing capabilities to transform the chatbot experience into a conversational AI assistant that could understand and respond to complex queries in real time. And we find that this not only reduces the burden on human agents, but it also provides citizens quicker and more accurate assistance, resulting in higher constituent satisfaction and lowering that frustration level some of us have felt when trying to engage with these agencies. So those are just a few examples, but hopefully illustrate where we're focusing on improving the experiences provided by government agencies. Absolutely. Well, um, as, as we look ahead to the future of constituent engagement, what advice or key takeaways would you offer government agencies uh, and organizations striving to enhance their interactions with constituents through technology and design? I, well, first of all, I think it's a really exciting time for them. Um, and as we contemplate the future of constituent engagement, there's one overarching piece of advice that I'd like to emphasize. And and that's for the agencies to embrace innovation with a relentless focus on empathy. Uh, technology will continue to evolve and the ways in which constituents engage with government is, you know, it, it will continue to change. To stay ahead, I think government agencies and organizations should adopt an innovation mindset, of course, be open to exploring new technologies, you know, data-driven insights and design principles that enhance the customer or constituent experience. Um, however, agencies need to ensure that they don't lose sight of the human element. You know, the heart of successful constituent engagement lies in empathy. Understand your constituents' needs, their desires, and pain points. Listen actively to their feedback, you know, in both quantitative and qualitative forums. And use this understanding to design experiences that truly resonate and leave a positive impact. I So I guess, you know, my key takeaway is this, you know, just keep innovating, but don't lose touch with the human side of engagement. Don't do tech for tech's sake, right? that balance will be the cornerstone of successful constituent interactions in the future. 
That, that's a great point. And I particularly appreciated the way you phrase that. Embrace innovation with a relentless focus on empathy. It's a great mantra to live by. Uh, Gretchen Brainerd, um, let me say thank you for joining us, sharing your insights about uh, the combination of using AI to and the Google Cloud to really improve the human experience with government agencies. I uh, really think it's a, a, an exciting time, as you mentioned, and appreciated uh, some of the insights and examples that you shared with us today. Well, Wyatt, thanks for having me. I was happy to do so, and I'm excited about the future for these agencies. No, thank you very much. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people to find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Adam Butler and Carlin Fisher help put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll be back on Thursday with a brand new episode. Until then, I'm your host, Billy Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening.